It's Tuesday, March the 30th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist, sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, the ever-given is freed and promising vaccine results. First, the world in brief. The Suez Canal finally reopened after the ever-given was fully dislodged from both banks of the waterway. The enormous ship had become stuck last week. Some 370 vessels caught in a mighty maritime tailback are now free to resume their journeys. Lawyers made their opening arguments in the trial of Derek Chauvin, a white former police officer, for the murder of George Floyd, a black man in Minneapolis last May. The first witness called by the prosecution was an emergency dispatcher who recalled watching live surveillance footage of Mr. Chauvin kneeling on Mr. Floyd's neck, which he did for more than nine minutes, and asking if the video had frozen. Mr. Chauvin's lawyer said the former cop had been following his training. Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley reportedly managed to sell off blocks of company shares quickly enough to avoid severe losses connected to Archegos Capital Management after the hedge fund failed to meet its margin commitments last week. More than $20 billion in stocks have been sold since Friday, causing heavy losses at two other banks, Nomura and Credit Suisse. Shares in Nomura, Japan's largest investment bank, fell by 16% on Monday, their largest one-day fall on record. Two COVID-19 vaccines have been found to be nearly as effective in the real world as they are under lab conditions. America's Centers for Disease Control and Prevention published a study showing that both the Pfizer-BioNTech and Moderna jabs were about 90% effective in preventing infections after two doses, compared with around 95% effective in clinical trials. The head of the CDC said she had a feeling of, quote, impending doom about rising COVID-19 cases. Rochelle Walensky said the seven-day average had risen 10% on the previous period. Hospitalizations were also up. She urged Americans to go on following the CDC's guidelines to stop the spread of the virus and its variants. President Joe Biden called on states to maintain or reintroduce mask-wearing rules. The National People's Congress Standing Committee, China's legislature, unanimously passed changes to Hong Kong's electoral system. In order to thwart pro-democracy candidates, those standing for office will now have to prove their, quote, patriotism, i.e. to China's Communist Party. The number of directly elected representatives in LegCo, Hong Kong's legislature, will be slashed, and more Beijing-friendly ones put in their place. And Uber users in central London can now request an all-electric car after Uber Green was launched there on Monday. The ride-hailing platform intends a wide rollout in Europe and America in 2021, part of a commitment to become, quote, fully zero emission by 2040. Scarcity might be an issue, however. Only 1,600 of London's 45,000 Uber drivers have electric vehicles. And now, here's today's agenda. Mineshaft Gap – Rare Earths Despite the name, rare earth metals are everywhere. They're essential to technologies from batteries and wind turbines to laser-guided missiles. For the West, this presents a problem. China dominates rare earth metal supply chains. 
In the 1980s, Deng Xiaoping, China's leader at the time, recognized their value, likening their importance to China to that of oil to the Middle East. By 2010, the country was responsible for about 95% of the mining of rare earths, controlling mines across the world. Faced with this uncomfortable dependence and increasing demand, the West is belatedly stepping up its game. That rare earths are crucial to clean energy technologies needed to combat climate change is a further spur. America, Australia, Canada and the European Union have all taken steps to encourage secure supply chains, but China remains at least a decade ahead, and although government intervention may encourage innovation, it will take some time to close the gap. A bubbling threat, Islamic State in Africa Today, Antony Blinken, America's Secretary of State, is to co-host a virtual meeting of the Global Coalition to Defeat Daesh, ISIS, an 83-country group set up in 2014 to combat Islamic State. High on the agenda is Africa. Seven years ago, Islamic State controlled large swaths of land in Syria and Iraq. In 2019, the Caliphate's last territory in the region was captured. But affiliate groups in Africa have grown. Seven of the ten countries with the fastest growth in terrorism-related deaths that year, from IS and other Islamist groups, were in sub-Saharan Africa. Now, IS-affiliated militias are surging further south, particularly in Mozambique, where the northern town of Palma has been under siege since Wednesday, though the attacker's provenance is unknown. This month, America listed Mozambique's Islamic State group as a foreign terrorist organization and committed to training Mozambique soldiers for two months. Today's meeting will indicate whether more action could be coming soon. The Terminator, Congolese warlord at the ICC Bosco and Taganda, nicknamed the Terminator for commanding troops that killed hundreds of people in eastern Congo in 2002 and 2003, is unlikely to win his appeal at the International Criminal Court today. His soldiers, who mostly targeted members of the seed-sowing Lendu tribe, abducted girls as young as 11 and kept them as sex slaves. In November 2019, Mr. Ntaganda was handed a 30-year sentence by the ICC after being convicted on 18 counts, including murder, rape and sexual slavery. Earlier this month, the court awarded $30 million to his victims in reparations, although with Mr. Ntaganda lacking the funds, the ICC has said that its own trust will cough up, and in 2020, it only had 18 million euros, or $21 million in the bank. Mr. Ntaganda's lawyers say that serious procedural violations meant that his trial was not fair and that his conviction should be rejected. Thankfully for his victims, nobody expects this to happen. Clicking for Growth – Britain's Retail Sector Two reports released today by the Office for National Statistics and the British Retail Consortium will give an update on the health of Britain's retailers. Unsurprisingly enough, a series of multi-week shutdowns of shops and hospitality businesses over the past year have been far from positive for Britain's high streets. Retail sales volumes held up better in the second and third lockdowns than the first, but remain well below their pre-pandemic level. And that understates the damage to bricks and mortar businesses. Online sales have leapt from around 20% of the total in January 2020 to 35% in January 2021. 
Retailers fear that much of the shift will prove permanent and have begun to trim their footprints. John Lewis, the favourite shop of Britain's middle classes, announced last week it will be closing eight more outlets and expects some 60-70% to of sales to be online in the future. A good day for debt, Chinese banks. The global pandemic appears to have taken a smaller toll on China's megabanks than originally expected. Last week, Industrial and Commercial Bank of China and China Construction Bank reported 1.2% and 1.6% growth in net profits for 2020 respectively, beating analysts' expectations. The lenders have largely kept bad debt under control during the crisis, although the banking regulator allowed lenders to roll over many bad loans created in the past 12 months. And loan loss provisions at CCB increased by almost 19% during 2020, a sign that bad debt is hurting profitability. Attention this week turns to Bank of China and Agricultural Bank of China. Analysts expect full-year net income growth of at least 4% at BOC, which reports today. Analysts at Jefferies, an investment bank, expect the Chinese banking sector to outperform in 2021 in an environment that is likely to be easier than last year's. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Vincent van Gogh, who was born on this day in 1853. I would rather die of passion than of boredom. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.